I, um, I have open eyes and open ears to people who might just want to connect and might want and need advice like today. <laughs> and then I just put my counseling hat on and they don't even know it. And it's so fun. Um, so that's, that's kind of who I am and what I do. Um, but all of this, all of this uh, perfection that my life became um, was obviously a result of worshiping every week and making great choices. I made great choices in my life, and every great choice that I made put me on the path of greatness. And so I'm living the American dream. And um, you all know that that's true, and that's the way that it is, and that's the way that it's supposed to be, and that's all the way it works out, right? And, and only not right at all, huh? Because that's really not real life. And I know that you guys know this because raise your hand if you've ever had an issue. Anybody ever had an issue? Yes, and that might be a possibility of that being my life if everyone else would cooperate with the perfect life that I was working on. But when it takes cooperation from other people, sometimes they don't fall into line of what they're supposed to be doing, and then things get out of whack, and it's not my fault, but it's theirs, and then I'm a victim of that. And so I'm a victim of this imperfect world, and then, you know, you have to figure out how to handle that. So... um, but what happens is we're all in a, in a season, and I was telling the ladies today, and if, I'm, if you need to turn me down, please, I'm like hearing myself. Um, I have a super loud voice, so literally I don't really need a microphone at all, but that's great. Um, thank you so much, by the way. Give them a hand. Thank you, men. Oh, so nice to serve us. But um, I was telling the ladies today, we're all in a different season, and our, the seasons of life go like this. They're just constant. It's like circle, 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 circle. And now I'm in a new season of grandparenting and, and parenting adult children. And it's just, it's a completely different season. But the funny thing is, it's a different season than it was even six months ago. And it's like, wait, I was just getting the hang of that. And then now we're like doing what's happening. And um, so that's the way life is. But Jesus really, he demonstrated this when during the Last Supper, he, he took the bread, and he blessed it, and then he broke it, and then he gave it. And it just has occurred to me, my mother and I have talked about this at great length, that that, that really is a pattern, and it seems to be a cycle in life. And if you, if you, I want you to each think about right now where you are, because I know for a fact that he, has, that he has taken you, okay? And he's brought you to this place. I know that he's taken you and he created each of you in your mother's womb. He's taken you and he's created you, he's made you. And then you're at some place in this cycle. He's taken you and then he blesses. He takes, then he blesses, then he breaks. And from that place of brokenness, He's able to then give you, <laughs> and then when you're given, you think, oh, good, that broken season's over. I'm good now, and it's like, oh, so then he takes you, and he blesses you, and we just want that season of blessing to last forever, and you know, um, it just doesn't. It just, let me tell you guys something, it's just not a thing. It's not a thing on this side of eternity until after the second coming, it's not a thing that you stay in a season of blessing. It's, that, it, it's not. 
And somewhere we've believed a lie that it is a thing if you just make the right choices and hang out with the right people and do the right thing and that it will be that, that. And it's just not a thing on this side of eternity, but praise God, it is going to be a thing after the second coming, but I don't know when that's going to happen. So between now and then, we need to figure out, okay, where, are, where am I? And what do I do with this season that I'm in, <laughs> regardless of what it is? Um, the maturing process helps us get through those seasons much quicker. And then you get to a place, and uh, Barb is such a great example of this, and Marilyn too, and certainly mentors to me, of, that you begin to be so grateful and just crazy thankful, like thankful when it's just crazy to be thankful and it makes no sense that you're thankful, just crazy thankful for the brokenness crazy thankful for the brokenness and then crazy thankful for the time that he's giving you and you feel so spent like oh everyone's taking from me you know that that's just the season that god's giving you (laughs) okay you know and then and then he'll take you he'll protect you and then he'll bless you and then he'll break you but we just get to be crazy thankful in every season so i wish that i knew you better it's my favorite thing to get to know people, and in my counseling practice, I have everybody write out their life story before I schedule a session. So by the time they come in, I actually know their whole entire life story, and they write it to me in five-year sections, including their sexual history. I uh, have been a counselor since 1994, and um, I specialize in sex education in the public schools and uh, teaching about healthy relationships. So it was a natural transition for me to become a marriage and family therapist, and I have worked full-time since 2010 with the state of Texas with a program called Together in Texas. So relationships are a very big deal to me, and they they really mean a lot to me. And um, so anyway, what was I saying? I lost my train of thought. But I wish that I I could each know, if if I have my way, I wish I could know your whole life story. Because if I knew each of you and your whole life story, I could sort of customize our time together. And since I can't do that, I'm going to talk in principle, so that, and I'm trusting that each one of you will plug in these principles in your own life, and then that will benefit you in a way that you can um, learn them, apply them to your life, teach them to your children, teach them to your neighbors, teach them to others, and, and it will all continue on passing on these principles. Um, but... I do have an opportunity for each one of you to get to know my life. And so uh, my, my perfect world um, really such a, lived in such a bubble and really was my parents. I, you, my dad is so close to, like, Jesus. If I can't be like Jesus, I just want to at least be like my dad, you know. Just so, so great, like your husband's too. Like they are, he's just such a godly man. And my mom is like the Martha Stewart and plus a godly woman, and she's just amazing. Some of you have gone through her home experience book, I think, and, and she's such a godly woman. So, and I already told you about my grandparents. So I lived in such a, a great world, and then um, my husband and I lived in Camp Hill and owned a company, a computer company, and my life was going so well, teaching in the schools, managing the kids and everything, and my husband began traveling a whole lot with his business, and that was fine. He was... He was busy traveling, and I, I had my life, and I was so fulfilled. And one day, it was um, the last day of the month of March in 2002. I was getting my hair done, 
And the stylist was living with her boyfriend, and I was telling her, like I always do, giving her relationship advice about how they should get married, because marriage is so wonderful, and so it would just benefit you to spend your life with a partner, but in a committed relationship, get married. So I was telling her how wonderful marriage is. And then uh, that night, my husband came home from dinner and then left to go back to the office after dinner. And then it was, that had been his pattern for the greater part of the year, going on two years. And then it was about three o'clock in the morning and he hadn't come home. And I thought, this is ridiculous. He's not home. It's 3 a.m. I don't know where he is. And something's really wrong. I know that some of you women who are married have had that gut instinct that something's really wrong. And even the women who aren't married, maybe you dated someone and you have had a something happen that you just felt like something's not right. So I felt like something was really wrong. And, and my gut instinct was that he was just in a serious depression. And he had told me that he and his business partner had not been getting along and, and they had not been. Um, so when I asked, he came home and I said, what's wrong? Like something is seriously wrong at this point. I'm like drawing the line, like you need to go to the doctor, you need to go see a pastor, like something, because this is getting to be a really unhealthy pattern of you not coming home. Like you just eat dinner real quick and then you leave and you're gone all night and it's like 3 a.m. You can't just do this. Um, And uh, he said that I was right, something was wrong, and he got out of bed in this fit of rage and he started throwing things into a suitcase And he was so loud that it woke up the kids, except for our youngest, by the grace of God. And he he threw me a letter, and I was served divorce papers three days later. He had already filed for a divorce, already filed. And I was telling my hairdresser about how great marriage was. I, I was what people might call clueless. Um, so, so we had, he had filed for a divorce, and I didn't even know we had marriage problems. I don't know. My, my life was great. I didn't know. I didn't know we had marriage problems. He was gone a lot, and actually that turned out to be pretty convenient for me as one less person I had to take care of. Honestly, I had just got to be that um, settled in my own life and with the kids, and I mean, I took him at his word. He, he said he was working all the time and having problems with Rob, and I mean, I just believed that was it. I didn't have any other reason to not believe him. At this point, we had been married for 19 years. Our oldest daughter was uh, graduating from high school in May, and this was April 1st, 2002, and she was getting ready to go to college, and our youngest was in fourth grade. And um, so I became, like, little things make me hysterical because I I just tend to be a very emotional person. I was beyond hysterical. I was blindsided and absolutely devastated and in the kind of shock that I cannot even describe. I was in such shock. Well, um, he'd written me a three-page letter, and in this letter, um, he was trying to explain himself, but none of it made any sense. It was just bizarre. It didn't make any sense. Um, so what that did is that sent me on a journey of knowing God more, <laughs> which was really strange because I thought that I already knew him, <laughs> uh, but, I, but I, I didn't know him to the depth of I could not function without my relationship with God. I could not breathe. I could not get up. I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't take care of the kids. I couldn't go to, I, I couldn't go to work. I, I mean, I was just like, uh, 
So it, it took me to a new place of brokenness. And as it turned out, he'd been having an affair with a woman since Labor Day weekend. Um, and and uh, I had told him for our entire marriage, and probably honestly, even when we were dating, that when we would even see TV shows or movies or friends, you know, that would have affairs, then I would just say, if that ever happened to me, we might as well get a divorce because I would never stay married to someone who cheated on me. You don't have a marriage. Like, of course you have to forgive them, but I could not stay married to someone who cheats on me. So it would not happen. So if you ever cheat on me, that's it. Marriage is over. Just so you know. (laughs) So I guess he really remembered that I had said that. (laughs) And so after having an affair from um, Labor Day weekend through um, the holidays and now into the spring, um, he went ahead and filed for a divorce from me so that he could marry her. And that's not what he told me. Like, at the time, he wasn't like, oh, by the way, I'm going to marry someone else. Of course, he didn't tell me about her. But the Lord uh, was faithful to, to show me the reality of the situation. And come to find out, the, the reason why he and his business partner were having trouble is because his business partner knew, because these weren't actually business trips that he was going on. He was going to be with her and her children, you know, take them on vacations and wonderful things like that. Um, but anyway, um, and so it was causing problems in their relationship. Because, because Rob was threatening to tell me, and so that was the reason. But anyway, so when I went the next morning and got the whole story from Rob, it sent me on a journey of just saying, okay, God, you know, what am I going to do? Of course, I had to go get an attorney because we had the kids, and he had already filed. I mean, I was served divorce papers. What, you, know, you have to you know, do your due diligence to take care of your part. Um, but just about the time that I was about six weeks into it, just able to accept the things that you can't change. You know, never thought I'd be divorced, never thought I'd be a single mom, never thought my life would turn out this way. But oh well, it is what it is. I mean, if your husband wants to leave you, what, what are you going to do about it? You're, I mean, I was just a victim and I accepted it. And so um, then he wanted to come home. And I'm like, oh heck no, this was not part of the plan. <laughs> you know, the whole First Corinthians 13 of love, you know, doesn't keep around an account for wrong suffered. I'm like, what, no? Like, not for real. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, that's just like the way God feels about us, <laughs> you know. So, I mean, it was talk about a test. So, I just went before the Lord, and I really, really asked if I could trust him to get me through this. to do the impossible, to move the mountain that was in front of me. Because I didn't want to be like the disciples. It was like, well, we were going to cast out that demon, and we tried, but it didn't go out. So it didn't work for us. And I could just see that to be like me. Like, well, I was going to try to forgive him, but I, I really tried, and it didn't work for me. Sorry. And Jesus is going to go, wait a minute. Oh, you have little faith. What about that mustard seed? I just need you to trust me. So I'm wearing a necklace that, that has a little mustard seed in I brought some in case anybody wanted, and, uh, and there's a lady that was on the worship team that can sell more if anybody else wants one, but they're $40 retail, and uh, it has a little mustard seed right here. So I wear this to remind me of how much faith I need to move a mountain 
that would be impossible to move. Impossible to move. Not possible. And I do want to say, um, without faith, that it's impossible to please God. And at one point, I was really mad about that. And I knew he knew my heart anyway, so I figured, well, he knows my heart. Might as well be honest about the fact that I don't like living by faith. <laughs> I just feel very out of control. <laughs> and I don't know what's going on. And I don't like the living by faith. But the Lord was so faithful, and I'll come back to that in a little bit. But he was so faithful to give me some revelation, which I'm going to share with you today, um, that got me through just today, just today. Sometimes it wasn't just today. It was just this morning. <laughs> okay, and I got just through this afternoon. <laughs> now I made it through the night, at uh, the evening. Okay, now I made it overnight, and now do it all over again. Um, but you know what? That's, the, that's what the future is. It's just successive nows. It's just right now, and then right now, and then right now. But the thing about impossible things happening, the thing about being a woman of faith and a woman of God and a woman that can do the impossible like forgive, even forgive something that you would never have dreamed possible to forgive, um, to do the impossible, whether you are, each of you are believing for something impossible, each of you know there's something in your life that is impossible. Either, there's, either you've been a victim of something horrendous and it's impossible to forgive them. Either you're in a financial situation or a health situation or there's something in your life that is impossible. I know that because the second coming hasn't happened yet. So there's something in your life that is impossible. And you're going to need faith to just get through today. But the thing about faith is, it doesn't have to be a lot of it, but you can't let it go. You can't let it go. Because you, you can't have a relationship with God without trusting him. So we can't have more of God unless we trust. And the only way to trust is to believe. And so we must be able to make the trade from fear to faith. And it is a trade. Because you can't have faith and fear at the same time. You can't have love and fear at the same time. So everything is a trade-off. So each and every day, we each have a choice of, number one, what kind of person am I going to be? And how am I going to, um, how am I going to walk in a relationship with the Lord where I trust him and I surrender all, which means that, um, it's not going to be my way. It's going to be his. And I trust that his way is going to be best. And even if I feel like it's impossible, he's going to get me through it. So when I know he's going to get me through it, that means I can trust him no matter what, and I will not be afraid. Well, I was really, as you might think, when my husband said that he wanted to come home and he put a stop on the divorce, um, he said he was sorry, but he was not broken, if you know what I mean. He was still justifying his behavior. He wanted to sell our company and move back to Texas, which we did. Um, so in the midst of this horror, he wants us to uproot everything and move. And it was just, it was like one thing after another. Now that it's 2016, I'm going to tell you, everybody's story is different. Now I can talk without pain when I tell you this story because I have no pain. I've been fully healed. However, um, when my husband was fully broken, 
And when really things were fully restored to where I really, where my feelings for him were restored and everything was fully restored, it, it happened um, seven years later in 2009. So it was seven years until he was actually broken. Like, he was repentant and he apologized. He wasn't brokenhearted about what he had done to me and to the children and and, you know, I was really thinking that that was going to be the criteria for him to come home. But the Lord just spoke to me to trust the Lord. You know, when someone does something like that, he, he was, like, living a double life, basically. It was just so weird. It doesn't even seem like it's him at all. It's like it's another person completely. And actually, it really was. Um, he, he had just become such another person. He just allowed a whole new identity, walked away from the Lord, and allowed this completely ungodly um, identity to be who he became. But, um, but you know, during that time, to trust God in a whole new way, it, it, gave, it gave me a testimony that I never wanted, that I never signed up for, that I never thought I would have. <laughs> and, and you know what? But it did, it did change me, and it broke me. It broke me. And Maybe his brokenness would have happened if my brokenness would have happened earlier. I stayed in a place of feeling like a victim, of feeling self-pity, of feeling sorry for myself. And when I stayed in that place, I wasn't able to, um, wasn't able to walk in the identity that God had for me. So I want to show you a little thing here, and uh, this is. This is uh, very key. I'm, I'm going to move into a very practical realm right now. Um, and I want you guys to uh, insert your situation here. But I'm going to move into a very practical realm, realm right, right here. Uh, your identity and your feelings and your behaviors, um, something we want to pay attention to. What culture tells us, is that your feelings are right here. And if you guys behind me can't see, feel free to move. I was going to say behavior. I think I'll say action instead. Here's what culture tells you, is that your feelings are in the number one slot. And if we're not careful, we, we live our life this way. And you'll find yourself in certain situations living your life this way. The, the illustration that you used with your um, exercise. Whether, regardless of what your feelings are, uh, it could be feelings of depression, feelings of cravings, feelings of laziness, feelings of um, anxiety, feelings of, give me other feelings, anger, frustration, bitterness, um, unforgiveness, um, give me more feelings. Anyway, any of these feelings, lust any of these feelings, if these feelings are in the number one slot and you're paying too much attention to it, maybe the feelings of, um, I love, I don't love my husband anymore, I don't love my wife anymore, I don't love my um, parents anymore, I don't, whatever. It could be any feelings, fill in the blank, any feelings. If it's in the number one slot, what happens is, is your feelings will drive your action and then your action will create your identity. I'll give you a few examples. Let's say if your feelings would be, say, lust. So my feeling is less, that could create the action of me cheating on or doing something immoral. I know all of you aren't married, so it could, lust could create the action of doing something immoral. And then it creates the identity of, I feel really bad about myself, like I'm, 
you know, um, I don't know, I'm a cheater, I'm a liar, I'm a slut, I'm a whatever. It creates, it creates an identity. Um, let's say the feeling is depression. Could create the action of staying in bed, um, taking a lot of medications, create the identity of I'm lazy, I'm sick all the time, I'm negative, I'm maybe even an, an addict. Okay, so then that creates the identity. Um, your feelings could be something like um, anger. So if it's in the number one slot, then anger will create the action of having an outburst of anger, yelling at somebody, swearing, whatever is the way you have your outburst of anger. So maybe your way of an outburst of anger is shutting down. Different personalities do it differently, but whatever. Your feeling creates the action of your tantrum. And then it creates your identity of, you know, if I ask the people close to you, you know, what are they like? They'll go, oh, man, they're a really angry person. They're a bitter, angry person. You know what? You don't even like yourself. You're like, I don't know what happened to me, but somewhere along the lines, I became a really bitter, angry person because things just set me off like that. And um, my, when I started filtering things through that victim mentality, my feelings were self-pity. I felt sorry for myself. I felt sorry for myself. I didn't deserve that. A hundred men would love to be married to me. I'm awesome. <laughs> I did not deserve that. So my feelings of self-pity created my action of um, being sarcastic and rude and short with my words, very blunt. Um, and then it created my identity of some people who really loved me, and it began to be more than one person, said, uh, Trina, I don't know what's going on with you, but you're just, like, really rude. Like, you'll just say, like, the rudest thing and, like, not even care. I'm like, what? Seriously? Oh, my gosh, I can't believe you said that. That's not, you know, and then I'd be, like, rude back, you know. But, but it's so true. My mouth and my tongue was the action that I had used, and I'm telling you, I was out of control. I was out of control. I mean, I'd bite your head off, no problem. And really... It was not even you that was really the problem. I, the problem was is that I was filtering everything in my life through this victim mentality. I was mad at the church. I was mad at my friends. I was mad at my parents. I was mad at my brother-in-law. I, was, I had forgiven my husband. But really, really, I, I thought that I had, in theory... But I had allowed myself to live this way. But here's what God calls us to do. Is he calls us, of course it's going to be the opposite way of what culture tells us to do. And of what the enemy tempts you to do. Which is to pay so much attention to your feelings. And what God calls us to do is to flip this upside down, of course. Because it is exactly backwards. So I, I can't just turn this over. So I'll just write it backwards. Actually, I could have left action in the middle. Because I just have to reverse these, these other ones. So our identity got to be in the number one spot here. So identity. Your identity creates your action. Then your feeling follows. Now it's not like feelings don't matter. 
Feelings do matter. Having, having a handle, EQ is the emotional intelligence, handle, having, have, being in touch with your feelings and being a person who feels is good. It's healthy to feel as long as that's not in this place, okay? Feelings are okay. It's okay to have emotions. It's okay to have feelings. It's important. It's healthy. However, it's very unhealthy, and it will drive that ship in the wrong direction if it's in the number one slot. So your identity has got to be in the number one slot. Your identity drives your action, and the feeling follows. And the feeling will change, and then the feeling will reverse its course, and it will line up to go with your identity. So in my situation, my identity of, well, first and foremost, my identity is I'm, I'm a daughter of the Most High King. I mean, I'm a child of God. I never walked away from the Lord. In fact, I was trusting God more than I did ever in my whole life. But my identity was going to have to be that I was obedient to doing the hard things that I didn't feel like doing. Someone asked me recently, is it okay for me to stay mad about that? Someone asked me that recently, that, the situation. And I said, sure, you can stay mad if you want. But the reality is, you're mad can't really matter because your identity, the Lord says, you're not allowed to stay mad about that. The Lord says, no, because I'm the judge, you're not the judge, and you're judging with dishonest scales because you want everyone else to forgive you, but you don't want to forgive them. Then you're judging their weaknesses to your strengths. It's, just, it's, not, it's not the right scale. So God says, no, 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 no. You're not allowed to be angry with these people. You're not allowed to judge them. That's me. So you need to walk in an, as an obedient child. And the Bible says in Galatians that if I want to inherit the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy, of course, those are the feelings that I want. I want righteousness to be here and here. I want peace and joy to be the feelings that are in my life if I want to have that. If I want to inherit the kingdom of God, I'm not allowed to have outbursts of anger. And there's a lot of other things I can't have. It's just that those other things didn't happen to be like my problem, like adultery. Well, let's just go to Galatians here for a minute. So Galatians. Um, by the way, y'all tell me when I have 10 minutes left, because uh, I can't see the clock. I'm not wearing my glasses, and I don't even know what time I'm supposed to be finished. So can you tell me when I have 10 minutes left, and then five minutes, and then I'll conclude. Thank you. So let's go to Galatians chapter 5. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Here's your craving right here, those feelings. You won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. The Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature wants. So these two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. Every one of you in here, you have good intentions. I know you have good intentions because you're here. And I had good intentions too. I had good intentions of forgiving my husband. I had good intentions of I'm not going to be a bitter, angry person. I had good intentions of being a good example to my children. I had good intentions of all kinds of things. Okay, but I'm not free to carry out my good intentions if I don't let my identity drive my actions. Because if my feelings drive my actions... Well, my sinful nature craves, my flesh craves what I feel like I have a right to, um, then I'm not free to carry out my good intentions. But um, 
it makes me want to follow the desires of my sinful nature if the feelings is in that number one slot. So in my case, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, I'm on verse 19 here in Galatians chapter 5, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, parties, and other sins like this. Okay, so these are categories, categorized. Uh, the first are sexual problems, then spiritual problems, then emotional problems, relational problems, and behavioral problems. The first one, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, these, are, these were problems that my husband had. I don't know, I have these problems. <laughs> so I was comparing his weakness to my strength. I'm like, that's unforgivable. But somehow I was giving myself permission um, to have uh, hostility, <laughs> jealousy, I can't even tell you about, like, off the charts, um, outbursts of anger. Like, when I was least expecting that, I would just, like, start yelling. Yelling. And here's what I would say. I would never do that to you. I cannot believe you did that to me because I would never do that to you. I would never, ever, 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 as long as I live, do that to you. How could you do that to me? I would never do that to you. I would never do that to you, ever. So as I'm saying that, that's, that was in an outburst of anger. Um, and when I wasn't saying that, that was my attitude, okay? Like, I just did not get it. I mean, we would have sex probably between one and three days a week. I mean, come on. It's not like you were starved. Why the heck would you do that? I mean, I fixed dinner. I, was, I did your laundry. Like, what? I would never do that to you. In my wildest dreams, it made no sense to me why he, why he would do that. Well, because that wasn't a problem for me. That, that wasn't my weakness. And I was comparing my strength to his weakness. So I came out looking really good, and he came out looking really, really horrible. Um, but... What the Lord showed me is it was my pride. Of course, 1 Corinthians 13 says love is not proud. It was my pride that was saying, I would never do that because I am so much better than you. I am so much better than you. So really what I was saying is not, well, I meant what I said. I would never do that to you. But what he was hearing and what my heart really meant was, I am so much better than you. And, you know, that's really ugly. <laughs> It's really ugly, and as it turns out, that's not being an obedient daughter of the Lord because, because um, God can't do anything with us when we're proud and when we, when we aren't coming from a place of humility. And so it took me a while to sort of figure that out about myself. But anyway, idolatry, sorcery, um, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like this. So... Of course, he had started drinking, and that was part of the whole, that whole time of his, I'm just going to label it his midlife crisis, um, his spiritual crisis, his identity crisis is really what it was, because he traded his identity, because he was walking in a place of letting his feelings, of, in that time in his life, is his life, it was lust, walking in a place of letting his feelings drive his action, and it created his identity. If he was a liar, a cheater, and almost divorced. Um, but you know what? I was, I was starting to uh, go in that same pattern, but mm, I just had different, different problems. So what we want to do is we want to switch us around. And if your identity is, if you, if you really want your identity to be, I'm a woman of God, I'm a godly woman, I'm a woman that wants to walk by the Spirit, 
with the fruit of the Spirit, like the very next scripture says. Oh, wait, let me, before I said this, before I go there, let me tell you, God says, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Basically, what Jesus is saying is, uh, I'm breaking up with you because you're doing things that you're, that is ruining our relationship, essentially. It's ruining the relationship that we have with Jesus when we are walking in the lust of the flesh, including my outbursts of anger, which I was trying to walk in forgiveness. And, I, you know, it, anger comes as a, re, as a result of either, if you guys have outbursts of anger, it's a result of um, probably your heart's been very wounded. Okay, you've been a victim. So your anger is justified, of course. And it is. I mean, your feeling is justified. It is a real feeling. Like, there's a reason for it. You've been abused. I, I mean, it's abusive, what I was going through. I mean, that's just wrong. So, so the feeling is justified of the anger. Um, anger happens either because you have been deeply wounded, abused, hurt, or you feel like no matter what you do, it's just not ever good enough. No matter what you do, it's not good enough. Your efforts are unsuccessful. Anybody ever feel like that? Or um, your future is threatened will make a person feel very angry. My future was threatened, so I felt very angry about that. Um, so these are reasons that, that cause people to feel anger. Um, but you can't inherit the kingdom of God if we, if we allow ourselves to wallow in that place and we don't surrender that to the Lord. Because the Holy Spirit produces the kind of fruit in our life. If you know the scripture, uh, say it with me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And those of us who are in Christ can walk in those, in those things when we make a choice to have our identity to be being full of this, filled with the Spirit. So, but here's, here's a tricky thing, is if things are not working out well and we're in a time of our life of brokenness, and so you've got, you've got an issue that's happening that you are mad about, that you are mad about, to surrender this to the Lord and to walk in the fruits of the Spirit is to, is to reverse these so that your feelings doesn't create, don't create your action and so you, the decisions that you're making about your life, they don't come from your feelings. They come from your identity. Your behavior doesn't come from your feelings. It comes from your identity. So if my identity is I want to be a spirit-filled woman of God, I want to be a loving, forgiving, patient, kind woman. I want to be a mother that's a good example of my children. I want to be a counselor that is... Um, emotionally stable and healthy so that I can do my job. You know, my identity is what I get to choose, okay? I get to choose my identity. Because if we have it flipped around, you're a victim of your emotions. And I have to tell you, ladies, this is a real misconception, even in the church. You are not a victim of your emotions. Dr. Caroline Leaf has done a wonderful job helping people understand that you have the power to reprogram your brain and you're not a victim of your emotions. You, you get to choose your identity and as you choose your identity, as you surrender to the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit does that action through you, okay? And this is a result 
of your faith. Because first and foremost, for me to have an identity, um, you know what? I have to have an identity that Jesus is my father. It's funny. I, you think of God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit as, you know, the, you, know, you think of the Trinity that way. But actually Jesus is also the Father. So we've got the Heavenly Father. And Jesus, remember the description in the Old Testament says um, the Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. Let's see, Emmanuel, God with us, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. We hear that at Christmas time, and every once in a while I'm like, oh, Jesus is our Father too? Oh, wow. But anyway, it's really interesting. But, but we have to know, you have to know, who's your daddy? Whose daughter are you? I'm going to flip all the way back to Genesis. And if you like, you can, you can go there with me. You may be familiar with the story about Adam and Eve. And when God created Eve um, and Adam... He put them in the garden, and their lives were literally perfect the way that we will experience after the second coming. Looking forward to that. If you can't tell, I keep talking about it. Um, However, in fact, that's one thing that got me through each day is, uh, this is all temporary, (laughs) and I'm okay with that. (laughs) So I will get through today because Jesus might return today, and I will survive this day. Um, So that's that's just kind of a little trick of how it helps you get through those bad days. But um, so in Genesis chapter 3, I'm going to go all the way. Well, God had told them there's, there's two trees in the garden. You can eat of anything in the whole garden, um, but, but not these two trees. There's a tree of life and a tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil. And the tree, the tree of life they could eat from, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the only one they were not allowed to, t- to, to eat from. Um, so I'm going to just read this to you. Of course we may. They, uh, Eve entered into a conversation that she should have never entered into. Ladies, when this stuff goes in your head, uh, if you're entering into a conversation with your own mind, um, and really it could be a demonic spirit of fear, to be honest, and I just need you to recognize that, that's causing you to do bargaining in your head that you should never be doing, um, then watch out because that's, a, that's, just, that's just the enemy. So he asked that the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any of the trees in the garden? And then Eve replies, well, of course we may eat from the trees of the garden. The woman replied, "Um, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it, which is interesting because she added something there because he never said don't touch it. He just said don't eat it. So she added something. I think a lot of times we do that. We kind of make it harder than it really is. But anyway... Um, she said, so, so she understood very clearly because she repeated to Satan, to the serpent, she repeated to him, God said, you must not eat this or touch it or you will die. So the communication was clear and she got that. She got it. She knew it because she repeated it to him. Did you ever ask your kids or, or somebody that you're communicating with, um, repeat back to me what I just said. And you're like, yes. So you're like, okay, so you understand the consequences. Yes, so you understand that it's your choice, but yet if you make this choice, there's the consequence. Yes, okay, so you get that repeated back to me. Yes, mommy, I get that. Okay, you got it. Well, so she got it because she repeated it back. She told, and then he says, oh, you won't die. Okay, ladies, this conversation goes in your head all the time with big sins, little sins, out of all that thing in Galatians, which is repeated many times in the Bible. I don't know what your thing is that might be, But it's one of those things. Um, So whatever your thing is, oh, you can do that. You won't die. You know, 
you can have outbursts of anger. You're not going to die. You'll still inherit the kingdom of God, even if you have unforgiveness. You can do that. Well, not really, because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And whose daddy am I? Who's my daddy? Who am I going to believe? Am I going to believe what my dad says? My dad says, daughter, you don't do that, or you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. We're not going to have a relationship. And in fact, in in uh, Revelation, it says that if I do some of these things, I'm not going to make it past the gates. In fact, in Revelation, it says if I'm a coward, if I have unbelief, if I have, um, well, there's a whole list of things similar to in Galatians, that I'm not going to make it past the gates. But yet the enemy says, oh, you can do that. Just talk to that guy. Just flirt with him. Just, just you know, you can do, you know, and you're like justifying things. Or you can keep that anger. That's no big deal. God will understand. Of course you're angry about that. You were hurt. You're a victim. You're angry about it. I'm telling you, ladies, don't have that conversation. Here was Eve's mistake as she entered into the conversation. Really, as soon as he said, you won't die, she should have said, oh, yes, I will. You need to get out of here. My dad said no, and he said I would die, and I believe him. Why? Because I'm a daughter that believes. I believe, so you need to get out of my head, get out of my face, and I'm not going to die, and you're not going to tell me what's going to cause me to die and what's not going to cause me to die. I know what's going to cause me to die because I've understood clearly, the communication has been very clear, that the wages of sin is yes, and the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus the Lord. So y'all, ladies, you want more of God, you get to choose to eat from the tree of life. She could have eaten from the tree of life all day long. I mean, we want to choose to eat from the tree of life. I mean, that's what Jesus has provided us, this amazing tree of life. But we can't eat from the tree of life and follow the lust of the flesh simultaneously. You've got to pick one. You can't have faith and fear at the same time. You've got to pick one. But, you know, we want more of God. And, but, but here's what happens is, is Satan says to her, um, she was convinced, you know, and then she saw the tree was beautiful, the fruit looked delicious, and she wanted it, but she wanted the wisdom it would give her. Ladies, she already had wisdom. She, her daddy and her were in such close relationships. She had the source of all wisdom she could ever need. So she was tempted for something that she already had. That is ridiculous, and that's what the enemy still lies. Listen, y'all, there is nothing new under the sun. It is the same thing since the beginning of time. But here's the thing. You guys are also tempted with the same thing. Y'all, if there's anything that I see in my office and with people that I interact with and in my own life is we're tempted. We want to know it all. We want to know why. How come my kids won't get well? How come my grandma has cancer? How come I'm broke? How come, why, 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 why? Why is everything not healthy? Why is everything not perfect? Why is everything not, how come my husband did this? How, we want to know why, we want to know how, we want to know, we want to be in the know. And we get so frustrated when we don't know what's going on. And so we will pray, God, change them, change them, change them, change them, change them. God, make it right, make it right, make it right. God, this is wrong, make it right. God, this is wrong, make it right. God, tell me, why is all this happening? Okay, y'all, let me just tell you, to have the peace that passes understanding, you're just not going to get it. Like, you're not, it's not going to make sense. Not on this side of eternity, it's not going to make sense to you. You just aren't going to know. You're just not going to know. And you know what? If you want more of God, you've got to be willing to give up your right to, to know. 
You're just not going to know why it's not all perfect. You're not going to know why it didn't work out. I'm, not, I'm never really going to get it why my husband did that to me. I'm really never going to get that. I'm never really going to get why my grandson has a trach. I don't get why he wasn't healed. I don't get why he was born premature. I don't get why he's not healthy. We prayed for the pregnancy the whole time she was pregnant that she would have a healthy baby. I don't get why he's not healthy. I don't get that, but he's not, but I don't get it. I don't get why my granddaughter was born with a hole in her heart and then she had to have open heart surgery. I don't get that. I don't get why my grandma Tyus, the godly woman, had to have 13 cancer surgeries. I don't get that. I don't get it. I want to know, and God, I want things to be different. You know what? You're, what do you want more of? You want more knowledge? Because that's a tree of the knowledge. You want more wisdom from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Because that's not the kind of wisdom that God has for you, but the Holy Spirit can give you a gift of wisdom because you've got the source. But who's your daddy? Where's your identity? What kind of tree are you going to eat from every day in your life? Because there's only one tree, and it's really, it's Jesus provides that. And he said, I'm going away, but I'm leaving the Holy Spirit for you. So, so, that's, so that's where your source is. But I have to tell you, please know that even though you're going to feel frustrated about not getting the prayers that aren't being answered, about not getting why, why maybe your kids aren't serving God or why not getting why things are not working out just the way you thought they would work out because you've been making good choices, you might not get it. But you know what? It's okay if your feelings are frustrated, but it's not okay if your feelings are driving your behavior of worry, fear, anger, frustration, bitterness, unforgiveness, um, or it could be other things like, like drunkenness, um, like orgies, I don't know. <laughs> That's what it says. I mean, I don't know what your thing is. But the whole point is, I just had to throw that out there because the scripture mentions that too. That might not be your thing, but I you know what it is a thing for a lot of people. But anyway, whatever. Whatever it is, the bottom line is the cost is the same. It's the same as it's been since the very beginning. The cost is death. And I think it's very interesting that somehow we focus on other issues that don't happen to be our issues. And then our issues, we're like, oh, yeah, that, well, that one's no big deal, you know? And it might be emotional problems or behavior. I don't know what it is. I don't know what your issue is, but I know it might be something. So keep this in mind, y'all, because this is very critical. Now, the other thing that I need you to keep in mind, how am I doing on time? What do I have? How much? Okay, perfect. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to give you another tool to help you with this. Does everybody like tools? Does everybody get this? Do you have this memorized for the rest of your life? You will always know that your feelings are real, but they're not going to drive your action anymore, okay? Okay, everybody got that? What drives your action? Your identity. Who gets to choose your identity? You do. Thank you. Who's your daddy? (laughs) Okay. Okay, so you got that. Now, here's another thing that I need you to do. I need you to separate your goals and desires. Because G, this stands for goals. D stands for desires. For something to be a goal, you must have the power to make it happen. Okay? It must be something that you could take personal responsibility to make it happen. I will go to my exercise class three days a week. 
I will set my alarm clock. I will get up at 5 a.m. whether I feel like it or not because my identity is that I choose to be someone that is a good steward of my body. I choose to do my part to be healthy. So I'm going to do that. So my goal is that I'm going to go to that fitness class. My desire is that I won't um, get arthritis someday. Because I can't make it my goal to never get arthritis because that's going to take a divine cooperation, right? Okay, so my goal could be that I'm going to have sex every other day and I might even take my temperature to make sure that I'm doing it when I'm fertile. Okay, my desire is to get pregnant because that would take a divine impartation, right? Now, if I'm not married, my goal would be to keep my pants on um, and to not go too far with my dates. My desire, my desire would be, um, my desire would be to get married someday, okay? It could be my goal to be very friendly, to meet new people. It's my desire to get married someday. I don't have the power to make it happen. It could be my goal to join three different clubs this uh, fall so that I can meet new people. It could be my goal to... Um, um, to, to let people know that I am interested in meeting someone. And if you know anyone, feel free to introduce me. It can be my goal to, uh, to apply for 10 jobs every day. It's my desire to be hired. It takes cooperation from somebody else. It would be my goal to um, try out for cheerleader. It's my desire to be um, placed on a team. It could be my goal to try out for the baseball team, my desire to be chosen to be playing. So what happens very often is we get goals and desires mixed up, and we don't take personal responsibility for our goals, and we fail to give our desires to the Lord. So we try to control more to make these things happen, when the reality is you don't have the power, you will never have the power. It's my desire maybe to have a close relationship with um, my in-laws, okay, but I don't have the power to make that happen, but it can be my goal to, you know, send them nice cards and to buy them nice gifts and to be available to help them. So you've got to separate these two. So I don't know what's happening in your life that is a real struggle, but it's going to help you if you stop trying to control things that you don't have the power over. You see? And so we've got to learn to give this to the Lord. And then the opposite happens sometimes, too, um, is we don't take personal responsibility for things that we do have. Like, like we get our goals and desires mixed up this way, like, like I wish I was 20 pounds lighter. Well, it's not, that's not a desire. You don't just wish you're 20 pounds lighter. You have to burn more calories than you eat, and then you could lose weight. Do you know what I mean? So lots of times people think something's a desire. It's not, it's not a desire. It's actually a goal. I had a, a girl that was one of my students, and she wanted to be a missionary, and she had her goal and desire mixed up, and I said, you want to be a missionary to Africa? She, yes. And I said, well, so I gave her the speech I just gave you, and I said, is that a goal or a desire? She said, it's a desire, and I was like, mm, actually a goal. Do you have your passport? No. Okay. Get your passport, buy a plane ticket, go to Africa, start working, now you're a missionary. There you go. You have the power to make that happen. Now, it's your desire to um, make a salary and be a part of a certain organization. That would be a desire. Um, but it would be a goal for you to do that. And, but even if you, I mean, you're not going to do anything until you get your passport. So 
When you leave my office, go to the post office, fill out the paperwork, and get your passport. That's a great idea. I never even thought about that. Okay, so, so once, you, once you learn how to separate these two things, you can take the personal responsibility for the things that you can control. You know, we, what makes people feel very, very, very hopeless is being hyper-focused on everything that you can't control. Okay? But what, what becomes very fulfilling is when you can be um, focused on the things that you can control. You know, and uh, one thing that you control is one thing that you can control is uh, certainly your your ability to press into the things of God. Um, we all have a I'm going to say a DNA code. So when God created humans, humankind, He created us in in His image, and in that image there became a code. And this code is um, made of three parts. We are hardwired for relationship. Okay? We're hardwired for relationship. Has anybody ever told you that you have a purpose? You have a purpose. God called you for a purpose. There's a hope and a future, and you have a purpose. Well, your purpose is relationships. You think, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what my thing is. I know I have a calling, but I don't know what my calling is. From now on, you know, because I just told you, because it's the same as mine, your purpose, your calling is? Yes. And it does have an S on it. It is relationships. Not just relationship with your husband or with, or with your mother or with your you know, significant other. It is relationships, plural. It is, Okay. And this is God's design, which is why love is not jealous. Now, of course, that's not talking about being unfaithful in a marriage. That's actually talking about if, if um, when there's a, a tremendous jealousy. If my husband was very jealous of my time and he wanted me to just be with him right now and he, and he felt like that was the right thing to do, that he's very jealous of my time, then it would rob me of having a relationship with you right now. You see? So the reason why we can't be jealous is because it really robs other people of their purpose. So if you're jealous, say, whoever your significant other is or whoever your closest relationship would be, if you're jealous when they have a relationship with other people too, you think, well, they always call them and they never call me. You know, I wanted to be, how come they didn't invite me and they invited them? Well, if you're jealous, it's not love because it robs them of part of their purpose which is relationships. And it's not just with you. It's relationships with, with more than just you. So this is part of our code. We are made for relationships. You are hardwired for love and connection, which is why it hurts so deeply when a, when a relationship is broken. It's why it hurts so deeply when there isn't a relationship and you feel isolated. It's why you feel so deeply. But that connection, you are hardwired for love and connection. Number two, you are made with the capacity to choose. God designed it that way. He wants us to choose. He allows us to choose. We are made. And number three, you are personally responsible for your choices. So when I had this revelation back in 2002, I was like, God was revealing to me my, my sin because I was very... Um, 
I was very confused about why that happened to me because I felt like I had already made, always made right choices and was doing the right thing, and I just didn't understand why I was the victim of all this. And then um, when I was really humbling myself, I was like, well, there must be, I must have, there must be some reason my husband didn't think I loved him. I mean, I don't know why, but there must have been some reason. I must, I need to take some responsibility for that. When the Lord showed me my pride, when he showed me different things about my character that needed to be, um, needed to be addressed and for me to be in right relationship with him, I visualized myself standing before the Lord and him saying, Trina, how, how did you love your husband? You know, how's that? And I'd be like, well, I was doing good until he did that. And then because of that, well, I, I did the best I could under the circumstances. You know, and I just felt like I would stand before the Lord and I just wasn't going to be able to make excuses like that. So um, I, I knew it wasn't possible in my own ability to love and forgive the way the Bible describes love and forgiveness under that circumstance. My husband's sin and crisis had... He given away our entire savings account, and he had, which was for our daughter's college, she was getting ready to go up to college, and now the account, which I thought we had, that was about $150,000, was gone, because he used it to be this other woman's hero, to pay for her house, and for her car, and for her vacation, and to get her out of debt, and all this stuff, so he was using that to be um, her hero, and so when I found out that all the money was gone, and when I found out that um, that whole ordeal ended up costing us about half a million dollars. And um, for more like 350000 So I'm exaggerating a little bit. I can tend to do that. It's only correct myself. It felt like that to me, though. <laughs> didn't, it didn't, you know, it, my, like, your, your anger and your exaggeration just like, ah, it just it was so bad. But anyway, um, I could just visualize myself standing before the Lord and, and God just going, really, Trina, you're holding down forgiveness because of the money? Really? What were you going to buy? You know, kind of thing. And I was just like... I just, so we have the response, we have to take the personal responsibility. Adam and Eve, you know, did the whole blame game, and we tend to fall into that same place, and that is the problem with our identity. So we've got to make it a goal that we're going to take personal responsibility to choose our identity, to not be a victim of our emotions. We make, make it a goal to press into knowing more of God, that's not just going to happen. It's not a desire. I want to know God more. God, I want to know you more. It's a desire. Please just talk to me. I want to know you more. It's a desire. It's not a desire. It's a goal. And that will be a response. Knowing God better, knowing God more will be, a, will be an automatic response. Just like if you wanted to know me more, of us spending more time together, of you getting to know me by reading my stories and by spending time with me. So that would be a goal. That would be how I would get to know God more. And being obedient so that there wouldn't be something blocking our relationship. Because just like my relationship with you is ruined if I don't trust you, our relationship with God is ruined if we don't trust him. And it's very hard to trust him with things that we feel like are just not. Sometimes it depends on what you're, you're going through. But with the hardest parts in our life, trust him with our relationship, trust him with our health, you know, um, and we went through, because of all that, we went through a season that about um, maybe six years, we didn't have any insurance. So that, the whole thing caused us to go into bankruptcy and everything. And, um, and uh, foreclosure, we were, foreclosure, we were losing everything. Everything. 
and uh, trying to get our kids through college and everything. It was just awful. So we were losing everything, and, um, and I was so bitter and angry and, and frustrated and didn't know how to get through it. But, but God helped me to regroup and, um, and to stop blaming. I, I just was blaming James. I was blaming James. I was blaming the other woman. I was blaming the devil. And I wasn't taking any personal responsibility. So those are three things that, that we are made for. We are made for hardwired for relationships. We are made with the capacity to choose, and we are made to take personal responsibility for ourselves, okay? And uh, there's no way of getting around that. There's no way of getting around that. That is God's design. That is his design. And we're his children, and we, we want to know him better. We, we have to be crazy thankful for the way that he created us. It's very good. Um, fear gets in the way. The wrong belief about fear is that whatever I'm afraid of, if I control more, then I can be sure that that won't happen. Like I'm afraid, if I'm afraid that my husband's cheating on me, then if I can control more by being with him all the time, by reading all of his emails, reading all of his text messages, making sure that he doesn't have, making sure that I always know whatever, and I start obsessing and trying to control the environment, then I'm believing a lie that if I, whatever your worst fear is, you're going you're gonna to think that if you try to control more that your worst fear won't happen. Um, if you're afraid of a, a, a bad health situation, um, like I was going to say a minute ago, uh, for that whole period of time, we were without, we were without health insurance for know, it was a long time, like literally probably, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight, eight years maybe without health insurance. And someone was like, oh, my gosh, like you have to have insurance. I was like, yeah, we don't. Um, they're like, How, what do you do? I was like, you know what, I just trust God. And if something happens, I mean, we'll pay cash for it. Like, do you have the money and savings? I'm like, well, no, but if we needed the money, I'm sure God will provide somehow. But, I mean, I got to a place in my relationship with the Lord, and I am in this place right now, I have to tell you. I've been in this place since 2009. I'm not afraid of anything. And I'll do a little exercise with you. I'm going to say something that by, might be, feel like the worst-case scenario to you, and I want you to go like this and go, I'm not afraid of that, okay? I'm not afraid of that. I'm not trying to be mean or anything. I'm just going to say things that are real-life things, and I'm not speaking it over your life. I just want you to say, I'm not afraid of that. Because I promise you to have faith, to, to trust your dad. I don't want you to be afraid of anything. Because whatever this world brings, whatever happens with other people, when other people don't cooperate, because see, anything that's a desire for this to happen, it takes cooperation from other people. If they're not cooperating, you know, you, you, you don't have the power to make it happen anyway. So it's kind of one of those things. You might as well trust God because you don't have the power to make sure it doesn't happen. But the wrong belief is with your fear, you feel like you do. So here's a little uh, exercise. Um, your husband um, getting a cancer diagnosis. Everybody say, I'm not afraid of that. Okay. Um, your husband cheating on you. Him cheating on you with another lady at the church. Um, him cheating on you with your best friend. Your child getting hit by a car. Your grandchild dying. Um, going bankrupt. Your house getting foreclosed. Um, uh, being falsely accused of something you did not do and you would never do. 
Might as well not be afraid of any of those things because you know what? You don't have the power to make sure that that stuff doesn't happen. And when it does happen, when you go into panic mode, then you've let go of your faith. Okay? Because you're because you're going into panic mode of panic, of worry, panic praying even. People will do that oftentimes like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. Like, oh, my God, that's not going to happen. Heal them, heal them, heal them, heal them. You know, it's like, wait, 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 wait. Let's not go into panic mode here. Because you know what? God's got this. And yeah, it stinks. And it's a bummer. And, and I don't know why that happened. And you don't deserve it. And you're a victim of some sort of circumstance. And I don't know why people's homes get hit, hit by tornadoes. I don't know why people get, innocent people get shot when they're just shopping. This whole thing that just happened in Nice, France, that, that big shooting, we were just there. I was riding around in, on my Segway. I was right, right there. I was eating lunch right there, right where that shooting was. Innocent victims. The police officers in Dallas had just got shot. Innocent victims. I don't know why that stuff happens, but I do know it's going to continue to happen until when? The second coming. Jesus has not come back yet. So I don't know why the stuff doesn't happen, but I do know if it's not good, it's not the end of the story. Because he says all things will work together for good because for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I don't know why people have miscarriages. I don't know why babies die. I don't know why every child isn't healthy. I don't know why every pregnancy doesn't work. I don't know why every married person can't have babies. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm not going to obsess over the fact that I want to know and that I'm not okay with it being that way. It's just not that way. But I'm not afraid of it. And here's the thing, why should I be afraid of it? I don't have the power to make sure it doesn't happen anyway. So I'm just going to hold on to my faith, you know? And when I'm faced with things that are impossible, like forgiving my husband, like, like regrouping after all of that, like, like believing for my, my grandchild's um, health, when I'm believing for things that are impossible, like casting out demons of the demonic, demon-possessed people that come into my office, you know, I'm not afraid of it. Somebody said, are you afraid when like really, really demon-possessed people come in? And I'm like, no, I'm not afraid of that. They're like, really? Like all those evil spirits? Like that person was, oh my gosh, that was freaky. I'm like, nope, not afraid of it. Are you afraid of all the violence that happens? Nope, not afraid of it. Are you afraid of it? Your head? Not afraid of it. Y'all, since 2009, I haven't been afraid of anything. It's really cool because my relationship with God is totally different. Because... You can't be in a relationship with someone you don't trust. And I used to think that trust had to be earned, but when you think about it with God, like, like why? Like, it, it, can't, it, really, it really cannot be earned. It's really an extension of love. It's really an extension of love. Because, okay, I'm going to give you an illustration with that because that might be hard to comprehend. My husband went through this time during that, remember I told you like right after he came home, things continued to be like harder and harder and harder and then bankruptcy and then collapse and I realized all the money was gone. Then he went through, he went through a psychosis that was called, um, the, I, I diagnosed them. So, uh, I had no idea, but his niece had given him some diet pills. He was taking these diet pills and they sent him into a psychosis and um, he was hallucinating and I was thinking through the diet pills, and he was, he was taking those, like, energy shots and drinking a lot of Coca-Cola. He loves Coke, anyway. Drinking Coke, energy shots, and taking these diet pills. Well, his niece gave them to her, and they were from China, and they, um, 
And he was taking like way more, thank you, than, than he was even supposed to. And, and I didn't know he was, but I knew he was psychotic because he was obsessed with the fact that he thought I was cheating on him. I've never even had an inappropriate conversation with another man. I mean, seriously, like that's just not my downfall, okay? That's not my temptation, so to speak. So, but he was so obsessed by it that he had a tracking, he had tracking devices put on my car, he had hidden cameras all over our house. He had, um, I mean, he was absolutely obsessed with me, thinking that I was going to have revenge on what he had done. This is a couple years, several years after. And the Lord gave me this revelation in the midst of that. I'm like, God, really? <laughs> like, I've never even, like, I'm like, how do I have an affair? I've never been missing. There's never been any money gone. I've never been missing. I've never been anywhere that nobody didn't know I was. Like, I've never, I've never been alone in a car or a restaurant. Like, there's, like, no, I don't even get how any of this made sense to him. But he had, because the enemy can do all this stuff in your mind, so he would obsess over this fact. And so he was, he was going back to emails and stuff, like, back from the 80s, like, for 20 years. If my innocence could have been proven for him to trust me, it should have been proven. There was no proof. And somehow in his psychotic mind, he thought that I was just really smart and sneaking around. So the Lord gave me this revelation that trust really can't be proven. And if anybody chooses to be just suspicious about any one of you, they can suspect you all day long and they can prove in their own mind that you are not trustworthy. Isn't that ridiculous? But it's amazing. But that's what a spirit of fear does. A spirit of fear twists your mind because it's demonic. So God showed me that when we have fear and unbelief, and I'll tell you a story about faith tomorrow, when we have fear and unbelief, we cannot enter into the gates. I'm going to conclude with this scripture. This scripture is uh, Revelation 21.8. I'm so excited we get to come back tomorrow so I can keep talking to you. Revelation, is anyone learning anything tonight? I hope so. Okay. Revelation 21.8. But cowards and unbelievers, the corrupt, the murderers, the immoral, and those who practice witchcraft. Witchcraft is when you're trying to control everything. I don't know if we have any controlling women in here, but it seems to be kind of a thing with women. But that's, that's really a spirit of witchcraft. Idol worshipers. I don't know if we have anybody here that really likes material things. If you like money, if you like material things, if that's just, you know, if you're constantly wanting material things, nicer house, nicer cars, nicer clothes, more jewelry, da da da, material, 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 that's like idol worshiping. Um, liars, their fate will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Um, but those first two things, cowards and unbelievers. And women, I just want to tell you today, to have more of God, don't be afraid. Don't be a coward. Don't be an unbeliever. Take him at his word. Take him at his word. His word is he could be trusted. He is faithful. He is true. You could trust him no matter what. And the way that you trust him is you're just crazy thankful. You're crazy thankful. You're thankful when it's crazy to be thankful. You're crazy thankful, and you can trust your father. Thank you.